On today's show, novelist Catherine Center talks about how plotting story is like building a really convoluted and often death-defying roller coaster. And also why creating stuff out of nothing makes writers just as good as Dumbledore. We need like a clip of John Grisham's like keynote speech YouTube. <laughs> no, I have first <laughs> I don't know yeah, what that, that means. That that is really good whiskey. <laughs> okay. That's really good. That that's a good import right there. I'm I'm glad it was able to make it to the states uh, before the travel ban. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm glad I was able to make it to the states. We're glad you were able to make it before the travel ban. <laughs> You have to start with a story that moves in the right ways at the right times to be a satisfying ride and whatever it is that is happening. I don't know what's going through their head and I I suspect it probably is not what would be going through my head at that moment. Trust me, there's not much there <laughs> going through a guy's head. My husband would agree with you. I'm Kate Martin Williams. I'm Jessica Cole. And this is Effing Shakespeare. Bye writers. For writers. Here's what you need to know about Catherine Center. I've never been to her house, but I suspect she's the woman with all the kick-ass ideas for dinner parties. Nothing's ever dull. Great music, some game that sets a party in motion in just the right way. Whatever tiny flame of jealousy the dark part of you wants to start nursing is quickly snuffed out immediately by all the damn fun you're having. It's the same for reading her novels. She stacks scene upon scene of memorable moments, witty and real banter between flesh and bone characters, and carefully plotted action that always culminates in some spectacularly grand moment that sticks with you. My favorite from her 2010 novel, Get Lucky, is a Save the Love Library kiss-a-thon, where a beleaguered woman finds herself, figuratively and literally, while sitting on top of a historic library slated for destruction. At the end of the sit-in, she gets to kiss someone from the audience 99 times for the number of years since the library's been built. I'll not spoil the novel by revealing what happens, but I will say that thinking about it even now feels like I was there, watching the whole thing unfold on the library's lawn. Even though you might be envious, as I was, of her dinner party ideas slash writing chops, the experience of reading her work makes you more optimistic about what the world is capable of, even in these the weirdest of days. That if we're just a bit kinder to one another, that if we do our best to make memories worth holding on to with each other, that if we remember as Dixie, wise old southern belle of a warrior woman in Get Lucky says, sometimes you have to be brave for the people you love. Things out there in the world just might get better. Catherine Center, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's just so funny to me that I'm in Boston and you guys are in Houston. And how many of your books have some sort of Boston and or some sort of Houston connection? Like, I just feel like those are not normally cities that people put together. Can you speak to that? Yes, actually. I Okay, I love I love Boston. Actually, I lived in Cambridge one oh, summer okay. um, with my um, best friend from college. So I went to college at Vassar in New York. Yeah. 
and um and then and from uh, rochester so that's another connection like we're pretty close poughkeepsie and rochester aren't too far oh yeah yeah and we we go up to new york every summer um because my parents-in-law live up there so we always take a big road oh. trip from oh. texas and then we usually cruise around in the northeast for a little while and go to all the cute little towns and mm-hmm. go and see stuff but um but Boston is just like a very special place to me because of that summer, you know, because I lived with this dear, dear friend of mine who I've barely seen since because she's living a very jet-setting lifestyle and I'm in Texas, uh, you know, raising kids and writing novels and basically never leaving the house. I love your dinner party idea. I need to do that. Um, setting in a different way. Yes, mentally. <laughs> Of the imagination. So, uh, but I, but that summer was just like, it was really, really a fun, great summer. She was, she's a chef. She actually owns a restaurant. And at the time she was working in this pizza shop called Emma's Pizza. And um, she got me a job working as the back room girl. So I was in the back washing all the dishes and like (laughs) slicing the onions on that. One of those terrifying like ham slicers from the grocery store. And (laughs) And uh, yeah, but we had a great time. We drove all over the place. We went up to Maine. We went on adventures. We went to the Berkshires. We did all kinds of grand adventures. And it was before I had kids and I was sort of young and free. And I just remember it all very vividly. Um, So yes, I love that part of the country. And in fact, I just finished my seventh novel like a week ago. And it is set partly in Boston and um, actually also in, uh, in Rockport. Oh, I love um, Rockport. Yeah, oh my. I, I do too. <laughs> what are we missing? Where? How, how do we have seven novels? What are we missing? Oh, uh, uh, yeah. So I've got two that are kind of in the works. Oh, oh, so oh, yeah, so yeah. number six comes out next May. Okay. 2018. And that's all totally finished. And I turned it in a year ago, actually. And it's just kind of been... Um, I, want, I was starting to say festering, but that's not the right word. Percolating. <laughs> yes, it's been ripening. 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 There you go. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> Aging like a fine wine. Yes, that's what it's doing. That's what it's doing. It, it is actually. Like I a love sore this. Wound. I, I, yeah, I, yeah, that's maybe not totally going to capture it because this is actually my my favorite favorite of all of them, and it's. Um, I just feel like actually, I know we just we just said festering, but we're gonna we're gonna make, take a break from that, and I'm gonna say that like if this novel were like a food, it would be like a hot fudge sundae because it is so delicious to read this book i mean i think over, huh bubbling over like a hot fudge bubbling over like a <laughs> so yeah i mean if you like that kind of thing i mean if you're looking for aliens and you know lots of explosions you're not gonna Never. get that there probably my husband's very disappointed Never. he loves aliens he's like just one alien that's all i need but um but anyway i'm very excited about the new book so that comes out that's novel six and that comes out in May. And then I just finished seven, like the first draft of seven, like this baby oh. little thing. It doesn't even have any feathers yet. It's like oh. little, just came out of its little egg. <laughs> so yeah, it's confusing though, because there's only five in the world yeah. at this moment. Yeah. yeah, I was wondering if there was like a draft hanging around. It's or... just a lot of delayed gratification. Yeah. Because um, you turn it in and then there's... That's to go sort of the of... game, right? It's very, it's very slow. It's mm-hmm. an exercise in patience. Mm-hmm. It teaches you a lot of wisdom. Mm-hmm. 
yes, there's some gender stuff going on there for sure. If you're a um, a woman writing fiction about a woman, then what you're writing is women's fiction. (laughs) But if you're a man writing fiction about a woman, then you're just writing fiction. Um, And, you know, that's complicated. There's a lot going on there. Um, I could go all day. Honestly, (laughs) there's so much to say on that. I don't even know where to go. But um, yeah, I mean, yes, yes. It's, 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 um, it's limiting in some ways, um, but it's also not limiting in other ways because... I mean, is it something that you come to the desk with, like this umbrella, like, oh, shit, I have to like stay in my lane and I wish I could do something else? Or are you like, does it not no, enter into I your just, creative life? Okay, so I just write about people I'm interested in and, and people I really understand. Mm-hmm. And those people are typically... Protagonist-wise, they're typically women. Mm-hmm. They're always women. When I say typically, I mean always. Yes. <laughs> Let's be clear. And somebody at a book club a couple of years ago asked me if I would ever write a story with a man as the main character. And I said, probably not. Because I write in the first person. And I do that in part because that's how I learned how to write. Mm-hmm. Was by keeping journals. Mm-hmm. Um, obsessively. Like hundreds and hundreds of journals. A lot of journals. Um, writing about my life and trying to figure out what was going on with me and what my deal was and who was I and what was the point of it all and, you know, micro-analyzing every tiny little, like, look in the cafeteria, you know, in big Mm -hmm. eighth-grade-ish bubble handwriting. Um, And, you know, and and it was was an obsession with self and with you know it actually kind of started from a place of like feeling like I was doing it wrong Mm. like doing life wrong (laughs) like I was it was not working out like and I needed to figure out my own stuff Mm -hmm. and get it fixed like I was trying to fix myself Mm -hmm. and so I and the only way the only tool I had for that was writing and so I just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and in and kind of by accident in that process I learned how to write I also loved to read and I loved reading poetry and I loved you know movies and books and I love all stories all forms of storytelling and and language like even from like a weird early age like like counting syllables Mm -hmm. like I would say a sentence and then go back and count how many syllables that was and then try and think if there was a way I could say it with fewer syllables like in a weird way like it like in like third grade yes yes like weird weirdly you know or like like my third grade teacher who, who told me that if you used a word three times in conversation it belonged to you, you know, it was yours oh. after that. And then getting very obsessed with this idea of like collecting, like These hoarding as many words as I possibly could. And so then starting to go through the dictionary and finding words so that I could work them into conversation so that I could own more and more. Like, it's amazing. Like I like words and I like the way they sound and I like the way they feel in your mouth. Mm-hmm. And I'm a talker, like from a long family of talkers. Mm-hmm. So like, where's I even going with this? I don't even know. <laughs> You're talking about gender. I was talking about gender and women. So okay, so so just writing, 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 constantly writing, and write, Mm -hmm. and also like a little bit of a like a introvert extrovert hybrid too. So like happy to just be like 
in my little nook writing, 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 writing all the time or like going to driver's ed and bringing my journal with me so I could just, if I didn't have anyone to talk to, just be writing, writing all the time. So, and that, so I kind of learned to write sort of by accident by just writing all the time mm-hmm. um, and trying to figure out myself. And so what I'm really best at is that first person yeah. voice because yeah. that's where I learned how to do it. I can do third person, but it's just, it's not as good. Yeah, yeah. And you should kind of always play to your strengths. Sure. Mm-hmm. So Life's hard enough already, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Life is hard enough. Writing is hard enough. Like you should do what, what feels good to you and yeah. what works for you. Yeah. So, um, so I would probably not write a man from the first person because I don't actually know what it's like to be a man. And I, I feel like I know a lot of men and I can connect with them in all kinds of great ways. But like when I'm not with them and they're just off like walking the dog or doing whatever it is that is happening, <laughs> I don't know what's going through their head. And I, I suspect it probably is not what would be going through my head at that moment. Trust me, there's not much there <laughs> going through a guy's head. My husband would agree with you. But I just don't know how to do that authentically, right? right and so what right. I, so I can do the female characters that I do because I am a woman. I'm not every woman in the world, but I can bring what I know about my life as a woman to those women and I can build it kind of from the ground up in a different way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I always write about women and therefore, because I'm a woman writing about woman, women, that means that I write women's fiction. <laughs> and here we are again. And here we are again. We're back. <laughs> We've circled back. And, and you know, honestly, if that helps you find your readers. Yeah. If that helps, or if, the, if you're looking for a book and you know that you don't want to read a man writing about women, you want to read a woman writing about women, and you know somehow instinctively that that's women's fiction, then great. Then that helped you find me, and so I'm happy for the category if it's helpful. Mm-hmm. But I'm not I'm not as happy for the category if it's limiting. Sure. Um, yeah. But I think it kind of cuts both ways. Um, early on when I first started writing 10 years ago, that chick lit was a big topic. And people were always asking me, like, is it chick lit that you write? What do you write? And, um, <laughs> you know, I was like, if you like chick lit, then I write chiclet. <laughs> if that's your thing, I definitely write it. And if you hate chiclet, then no, it's not. No, it's not at all. Not You're at looking all. for space aliens. Because like, yeah, I know the space know. aliens. Um, there's one. Other oh my thing god, I- human beings are like. So you could be like, yep, I write about space aliens. I write about people trying to communicate with each other because- with using this, these imperfect tools and lots of hand signals. Yeah, I do write about. Yep, yeah, yeah. You're yeah, like, I we're all space aliens in a way, yeah, right? Exactly. I mean, if you yeah. think about it. The, the other thing I wanted to say about that is that, um, again, this goes back to what I was saying before, but like another reason that I'll probably always write women is because, oh, sorry, is because I, is because I really, really always write the story that I want to read. Mm -hmm. And so those women aren't me, but they're referential in ways that are important to me. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, we live in this crazy world where every single a human being who's ever bought a book from Amazon can go be a critic and put up a, a, a review mm-hmm. online, mm-hmm. right? And I'm just going to knock on wood that Amazon has actually been pretty kind to me. People are nice to me on, <laughs> online. Oh my God, did I jinx myself by saying that? <laughs> um, but uh, I think you the only compass that you really have as a writer when you're trying to figure out, like there's literally infinity different stories that you could write or tell or focus on you know like anytime you pick up the newspaper there's some crazy story about some nutty you know water skiing dog and you think I could write that story like I could totally write that water skiing dog story like I could do that and 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 then you think 
but then I'd have to spend a year writing about a water skiing dog. Do I want to like? Do, do I want to yeah. do that? Right? Or like more right. frequently? Actually, I would probably like writing about a water skiing dog. But <laughs> but other stories like oh, like you hear about some person who like some serial killer that like chopped somebody up and buried them, you know, under a Circle K or something. And you read that and you think, okay, that's pretty fascinating. Like I could write that story. But then you say to yourself. Oh, but I don't want to, yeah. right? Like, I don't want right. to write. I don't want to spend a year. Like, I definitely, personally, do not want yeah. to spend a year uh, with any character who chops up any other living beings, you know, for, like, for fun. <laughs> so you kind of have to write what you are drawn to and what you're interested in. And, and part of that is, for me, comes back to, like, I think what has become my biggest guiding principle about writing. And I only discovered it, like, after I turned 40, like it took me a long time to figure this out. But I think that you do your very best writing when you are writing in the spirit of service to mm. your reader. And I think, I think for a lot of us, when we start out, this was certainly true of me with writing. I started out and I just knew that I was a little bit better than everybody else in my English class, right? And, and then in creative writing classes and workshops, like I just knew I was like a little bit better. And I liked that feeling of being a little bit better. We're all looking for, to, to figure out who, who we are and what we're good at, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, so when we would get assignments and workshops, like my goal was to take that assignment home, write something that nobody else thought of, and go back in and kick everybody else's ass. Right. Like I wanted a campaign of shock and awe, right? To, to humble everybody in the room where when we shared our stories, they were all like, oh, she's the best one. She yeah, wins. Yeah. I wanted to win. I was yeah, trying like, to win. Mic drop. Uh, right. Yeah. And, and, and <laughs> that is partly because when you're young, you really don't know if you're any good, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. you really don't know if you have a future, if this is even something you should uh, pursue. And so part of what you need to do is kick everybody else's ass so that you're like, oh, I am, I can do this. Like, okay. Like you're kind of testing your own waters, right? And, it, and it's very much kind of in those early days, at least it was for me, about you, right? And you're kind of like a seal with a ball on your nose, like showing everybody all the tricks. Like, I can do three powerful comparisons in a row, and whoa, I just knocked your socks off. And this sentence has your six list. less syllables yeah. than that. <laughs> I've got the least syllables of anybody in this room. Um, Two writers yeah. enter, one <laughs> One will leave. You're not here to make friends. I'm not here to make friends. So that's how you start out, right? Is that you want to win. You yeah, want to yeah. be the best one yeah. in the room. And then what happens is, if you're lucky, it stops being as much about you and all those things that you've learned in your life as you obsessively studied everybody else's stories and you obsessively took stories and you, I mean, took classes and you obsessively uh, went through the dictionary, you know, like hoarding your words <laughs> and counting your syllables is that you then suddenly have this, all these tools and you can use those tools to do something for somebody else. You can write a story that will be this magical, real, three-dimensional, transformative, meaningful experience for somebody else. And it's, it stops being about like you. So like when I, when somebody reads, so like, and that's one of the reasons why the language that I use when I write stories is so very conversational. Mm -hmm. It is not show-offy writing. And that's not to say that I couldn't bust out a whole bunch of multisyllabic <laughs> words because I totally could. But I don't want you to be thinking about the writing right. when you're reading the book. I, I don't want you to even notice it. What I want is for the words to disappear and for you to forget that you're reading. 
I don't want you to be thinking about me and like, wow, Catherine Center has some great adjectives. That girl <laughs> knows adjectives. I don't want you thinking about me at all. I yeah, want yeah. to remove my whole presence from your experience. And I just want you to be lost in, in the story, story yeah. right? And if I'm constantly calling attention to myself and showing off, which a lot of writers do, mm-hmm. and a lot of writers get awards for doing that, mm-hmm. and that's fine. Those are their choices. <laughs> I mean, I think that I've made this choice because for me, that's my guiding principle. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want you to be thinking about me. I want you to be lost in the story so that it feels like a part of you somehow. Like what you were saying earlier about how you feel like you were in that moment with those 99 kisses. Mm-hmm. That's like the greatest compliment I could. I mean, I'm actually getting shivers even just talking about it because that's that's what I'm always, always hoping to do is for you to feel like it's happening to you. To, mm-hmm. you know, And that's, that's not an easy thing to do because words on a page are not... They're not even moving images. Like movies right. have it so much easier yeah, than, yeah. than books do. People have to look at those symbols, know what they mean, put them together into words, string the words into sentences, put all that into their mind, generate their own images, right? Hear it, create it. Like you're asking the reader to do a lot. And I feel like you have to make it as easy as humanly possible for them to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then you've done something for them. And, and actually you've done something for yourself too because... Like, I just had to go back and uh, copy edit novel six that comes out next May. And um, I had so much fun reading that story. Like, when I say write the story that you want to read, that's the story I want to read right there. I want witty dialogue and I want people to struggle, but I want them to figure stuff out and get wiser from it. And I want people to take care of each other in unexpected ways. And I want funny stuff to happen and I want people to (laughs) cry but I want them to also you know experience like real joy and appreciate the wonder of their lives and um this book did all of that for me so to me as a reader like I feel so lucky that I can like you know the next time I'm feeling out of sorts and I don't know what to do with myself I can like go get in the bubble bath with like that book my (laughs) own book and read it because somehow I managed to do that thing that I'm always wanting that I'm always looking for in other people's books fantastic so congratulations a lot of talking you guys got a lot no I just it's so great it's so great and I love hearing it and it actually hearing you answer that question sort of smashes like certain I don't know patriarchal structures for me like whatever like so you're not going to get a booker you know like it's oh yeah it's who cares like you are enjoying your own writing and so many other people are uh yeah check that box I yeah. mean I, yeah it's just it's so great because okay you want to you want to call it women's fiction you want to call it whatever whatever labels you guys who determine these things want to label it that's your thing I'm going to sit here and write great stories that I am actually excited to read and so are other people it's yeah I think Anne, really empowering honestly um I think it Anne, actually like oh, sorry I think Anne Lamott sorry, has a Anne Lamott has a quote that says um oh what did she say living a creative life is its own reward or writing it's maybe writing in the end turns out to be its own reward that's what she said okay and that's yeah. yeah that's what i'm yeah that's what i'm trying to say is that if you're writing the story that you want to read you know maybe you love mysteries maybe you love stories where people chop up other people into a tiny bit like everybody's got their own thing right you've got to have your own thing but i think that some people just want to write a good story like or an important story or like a like a big story that other people will respect them for. But I think that metric is external. Yeah. 
And so it's never going to get you where you need to be, you know, because you have to find your own inner compass Mm -hmm. about what you like to read and what you care about and what your values are and how to work those things into stories. And then it's like, you've already won. Yeah. You don't need anybody to give you prizes because you know the story that you, that you want to tell and you're working, you've got your own guide to work towards creating that story. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Um, something in what you just said reminded me of, uh, Nathan Englander was in town doing a reading and he, um, food, do you remember this? He said that, um, literature might be the only art form that resides in memory. Like you might remember going to see a beautiful painting in the Louvre or you might, um, there's like an audio cue or a hook that, that, um, reminds you of the, of your, whatever music it is that you think is beautiful or, you know, that kind of art, but that, um, there's something about, uh, those moments that you remember and you've constructed, like you were saying, you have to, you, you have to do the work of creating this visual, um, auditory exchange between two beautiful characters that are coming to know each other or something like that. And that it exists in your memory and then mixes. Do you remember him saying that mixes with your memory so that like I said, I thought, you know, I can see myself sitting on a lawn watching this kiss-a-thon or whatever. And I think that your stories are um, full of those. I wonder if if they exist in your memory the same way, you know, an exchange with your kids exists, that these characters sort of like all live with you. I frequently find myself, um, you know, like when you're at a dinner party and everybody's sharing stories about like, you know, the first time I met my husband or like, you know, whatever the, whatever it is. And, and it's your turn to kind of throw something in and I frequently will like start to share something that was that I made up, you know, and then I catch myself and I'm like, oh, that didn't happen. That's not a. Oh, that I was had somebody this else. friend one time. I had this, oh no no, she's my character. I just yeah. think it's really funny. So no, this <laughs> happened to own. that happened to Jess, right? Didn't that happen the other day? You were like going into a coffee shop and thought like, oh my god, what if I run into Conway, which is her, oh the my protagonist god. in her story. <laughs> No, that was I was actually. Having, so I have written a, a male character in first person, and I don't know how successful it was, but it did. It was such an interesting, like, I had to. It was so weird. I guess I am an almost 36-year-old man. I guess that's, <laughs> that's all I can say. <laughs> I wouldn't that is. Um, but anyway, oh. it doesn't it all negate what you said. Well, I, I, I do want to say. I don't know how successful it is, but it was definitely like, oh, my God, I have to do this. Like, how bizarre. I've always written from, like, me-ish perspectives, you know? It was weird. Well, and but, I, yeah. can I just say that I think that yeah. you can. Obviously, I'm not saying that women can't write men and men oh, can't no, write no, women. I know. But, oh, I know. But, but you have to do what feels comfortable to you as a writer, yeah. you know what I mean? So yeah. if like, that's how the story is coming to you and that what feels comfortable, then great. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's always a female voice that comes. Yeah. And so that's no, just it what always I has been before. Yeah. That's what was so strange about it. I was like, am I a 36 year old? <laughs> okay. I guess I'm <laughs> but, um, Yeah. I was talking to this woman and asking her some questions about uh, this town where my character's from and all the, and I was like, so, and I, whatever it was, I was like, Oh my God, I'm giving too much away. And she's actually going to know, who I'm, who I'm talking about. Like, she's going to know this family and, <laughs> and that's private and I shouldn't be sharing it. Like it was nonfiction and you wanted to make sure that you didn't like compromise no, anyone's I privacy. I real for a second. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I was like, oh my God, oh my God. I think that's, I, maybe she doesn't know that his dad beat him up. You know, it was like the weirdest right. thing. You know? That happens to me a lot, actually. Like I, I love my characters. They're also 
you know, flawed, but kind of good hearted and witty. And I just love hanging out with them. And then like, I'll, like, I'll go to some event and I'm just standing around like, really? Like I left my, I left my imaginary friends to come <laughs> to and do this. Like, because <laughs> I was just like 10 minutes ago, I was with this really great group of people. And now I'm here. You guys are like, your dialogue is falling yeah. so flat. There's yes. the wit. Have you been counting your, your, the syllables way too long? Cut them in half. Just cut them in half. Yeah, I'm worried talking. about that because I just, I feel like, you know, real people really should take precedence over imaginary people. Like I, I do think as a general guideline, that's a good one. Actual relationships are better. Than yes. Them. Yes. Yeah. But I'm not, I don't always get there. What do you, what, what about these flawed characters? Do you ever, cause you do it so well, you know, they don't always make the best decisions. Um, do you ever approach a line where you're like, oh God, why did she do that? And then do you struggle to write them back to a place where we can empathize or do you just know that they're going to fuck up and um, we're going to be along for the ride? I don't think that characters, I mean, there's no way you could possibly write a character that makes the choice that your reader would make in that same situation because you Every don't know time. who your readers are, right. right? And you don't know what choices they would make. Um, but I do think it's really important that your reader understand why your person made that choice. You know, like you have to set it up as the writer. You have to have the elements in the story already there, like in the soup of it, mm-hmm. right? If you think of a story as like a stew, mm-hmm. you have to have all the flavors and elements already there so that when your character does that, even if your reader doesn't approve, they're like, I get it though. Like, I get it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like I had a character who's, who, who slept with somebody like in Bright Side of Disaster. She sleeps with somebody she should not be sleeping with. And um, actually, the first time I ever gave that book to my mom to read, my mom's always my first reader. My mom worked as a copy editor when she was younger. Oh, and nice. so she's she's great that way because she's happy to go through and look for typos. But she's also like a great storyteller in her own right. And. Uh, I always, she's always my first reader. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I, I had given her this book and I was like, you know, what did you think? You know, <laughs> like when she was finished reading and her first words and my mom's real Texas, she's from Texas. And, uh, she was like, well, darling, I just hated it when you let that man back into your bed. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh no, it wasn't me. <laughs> it sounds like me. And it's in the first person. Like, he's imaginary. I and could I am see not how you girl. would make that mistake. Um, <laughs> But also at that same moment when that character sleeps with that person she should not be sleeping with, mm-hmm. um, a friend of mine from high school who I like literally had not talked to in like 10 years, uh, just picked up the phone and called me and I, and I like, I answered the phone like, hello. And she was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> and I had no because idea. Because she thought that she was you- like, she stopped, she's like on page, whatever it is, like two twenty, and she gets to that moment and she's like, okay, we're done here. And she gets the phone. Really? And then you wrote me into your book. (laughs) She was just like, my weakest moment. She was like, we have to go here. Like, this is not cool. Um, So, you know, I'm okay with people being mad at characters or being frustrated with them or wishing they would get their shit together. But what I, but I just think it's really important that they understand why, you know, because as a reader, again, that's like my compass, right? When I'm reading other people's books, I just want to understand why the characters do the things that they do. Even if it's not exactly what I would have done in that moment, you have to get it. You know, you have to kind of get it on a visceral level, be like, I get this. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's all I really hold them to. And otherwise, I just let them be as nutty as they 
do their thing as they are because you know because we have to struggle like that's what stories are about it's about struggling because we're all struggling and so it's so comforting you know misery loves company it's so comforting to see other people struggle other people have complicated lives yeah like and you do, do dumb yeah. stuff and, and and if you tell it right that's there's something really soothing about that mm-hmm. or like you know it's like a it's like a support group of fictional people who you can be like i i get it i do stupid stuff too come sit down <laughs> yeah let's, let's have let's a be buddies that's right so yeah i think it's it's okay i like them to be flawed they they need to struggle or you've got no plot if everyone's just pleasantly sitting around enjoying themselves like that's great uh, but it's not gonna get you very far in a story pleasantly <laughs> um i would never ask a magician to like divulge their secrets but i do have to ask some craft questions sure, i wanted sure, to sure. know about your um you have so many great quotable one-liners and so I kind of wanted to know how they make it into the story. Like, I imagine you have this word bank of these, like, great things that people say. That, that I'm thinking of, um, what what was it, in uh, in Get Lucky when uh, Sarah blurts out to Mackie, her sister, um, when she was, she, she's wondering whether she has postpartum depression, even though she didn't have uh, the kids. And, and then Sarah says, sure. Depression is for everybody, which I like. <laughs> I laughed out loud. Like, yes, yes, that's so funny. So do you write your way? Do this just come out of your writing? Or do you know she's going to say that because it's like a great line you heard somewhere? Or No, I do not have a bank of them because I am far too disorganized <laughs> to make that work. There's no way. Like, we have this. So you're just naturally that funny. It just yes. happens. Yes. Uh, we have. I mean, yes. We, yes. Um, we have this joke in my family that if you could like crank open the side of my head, it would be like a tornado, and there'd be like a like a grand piano flying by, and like oh a God, like a funny. cow, like Auntie M. No, there's no organization. You know, you know, people like if you open up the side of their head, it would be like a filing cabinet. I'm the opposite. Of that. You know, I can't keep track of anything. I make notes and I lose them. Um, you know, I, I constantly am having ideas while I'm like doing the dishes and I'm grabbing like a crayon and like a, like a paper towel and like jotting it down or like all my receipts have like stuff that I've written down, but I don't, I write it down, but I don't organize it or hold on to it or keep it. I mean, I just lose it. It's like in a trail behind me as I walk through the grocery (laughs) store. So, um, so I notice that stuff. Like when somebody says something funny, like I notice it and I appreciate it and I really savor it. Like that was hilarious, but I don't. I don't organizedly you don't have one master document. A, no, no. And then... Um, I don't know if that makes me feel better or worse, that she's like this funny without like having to work at it. So that's I what... I feel that's, worse. That's Some like, people are really funny. <laughs> that's like what's fun. To, that's one of the fun things about writing to me. And so so like I have a, a husband who is very, very funny. He's possibly the funniest person I've ever met. He's He's like... I always think that he's... This is going to sound odd. But he's like if um, if you crossed Jimmy Stewart with Bill Murray. Oh, funny! Because he's like That's a fantastic. <laughs> yeah, he's I like said. yeah, he's like Jimmy Stewart. He's like an upstanding citizen, like an earnest, like does the right thing kind of guy. And then also he's got this mischievous Animal like house. yeah, like <laughs> more like uh like meatballs. Like he's got you know like the Hawaiian shirts and you know he's a little bit of a like mischief maker, but in like a very sweet all American cheerful way um <laughs> so that's that's my husband and but he's very funny and and I am absolutely my happiest in life when we are sitting around um our kitchen table like drinking coffee 
kids are watching cartoons in the other room or something and we are just bantering we're just riffing on stuff and cracking each other up so um that's yeah. why I'm saying we all need to go to Catherine Center's dinner <laughs> parties because you know they're going to be amazing yes. I never have dinner parties because then I would have to clean the house which feels oh. like a lot of work but if you show so up at my house work. unannounced you could totally hang out at my kitchen table like hey where's the funny you don't like judge like all the mess everywhere because no it's judge. Mess. Yeah. um so yeah that's so it all comes out of it's very it's very spontaneous and that's that's what one of the things I love the best about writing is having this moment where something somebody says something funny because I'm as surprised by it as anyone else and it makes me laugh too because it's not planned you know and that's kind of how comedy works like it's very temporal you know it right comes yeah out yeah of that moment in time like Absolutely. everything has to like kind of be set up just right to like make that happen that kind of erupt mm -hmm. so could we ask you to read something that made me laugh out loud yeah of many many things i love to read um, so it's page 28 of happiness okay it's um when jake's about to pee in the bottle oh i just reread that section last night for fun i do love that part but he really must have wanted to change the subject because before i could ask another question he caused a diversion you know what he said i need to pee Next thing, he was rolling down the window and emptying out his half-full water bottle. The wind came in like a roar. What are you doing? I shouted. Emptying this out, he shouted back. You're not going to pee into that. Sure I am. No, no, there's an exit right up here. It's cool. I have great aim. It is not cool. But I'm fine with the bottle. But I am definitely not. The bottle was empty now, and he rolled his window back up. The car seemed suddenly too quiet. I'll make a little shield with my book, he said then. You won't even see. Stop, I said. Do not unbutton, unzip, or even think about your pants. We're pulling over. He shook his head. It's a waste of time. But guess what, I said, not lying exactly. I need to pee too. And we need gas, so we're stopping anyway. Oh, he said, letting his hand fall from the top button of his pants. I guess you've got a point there. I veered toward the exit without even using the blinker. This, I reminded myself, was exactly the issue. This guy wasn't just a 20-something. He was a toddler and not even potty trained. I had forgotten who I was dealing with for a minute there. All that talk of Nathaniel Hawthorne in medical school had obscured the essential facts. This kid was not someone I could relate to. He adored my awful brother. He had ditched medical school for no apparent reason, and he was about to unzip his pants and relieve himself into an Evian bottle in the passenger seat of my Subaru. Ramping off, I turned right, then right again, then stopped by a pump at the gas station. When I said I drew the line at peeing in bottles, I meant for both of us, I said, yanking up the parking brake and turning to meet his eyes. For this to work, I added, you're gonna have to keep your pants on. He suppressed a smile like I was terribly funny. Got it, I asked, giving into an impulse to reach over and knock him on the forehead. Got it, he said, and his smile broke through. I vow to keep my pants on, he said, offering a little salute, unless you command me otherwise. You guys. So, so you do understand the male perspective. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's a great line, too. This is, this is every, like, every exchange of dialogue in all of Catherine Center's books. Yeah. Like, we, we didn't <laughs> no, just pick the really one sure. shining diamond. There are so many, and I, I am in awe of your dialogue. It's oh, so good. You. It's so good. I like to write dialogue. That's my favorite thing to do. 
It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know. I mean, I've read, I've read books. We actually have a friend who published a book on writing dialogue. Did you know that, Jess? Who? Um, oh, my God. She was in Tennessee. She liked cats. And Laura? Super, she loved Tessa Hadley. Yeah, Laura. Um, no. What's her last name? I don't remember. Not Laura Hoffer, but. No, no. Laura? Yeah. And she, remember, she, she loved Tessa Hadley, too? Yes. Anyway, I've read books about writing dialogue, and I don't, I think that something, there is something intangible about it that you probably can't teach, and you've got it. Well, I was just going to ask if you, if you had good instruction at U of H about anything, including dialogue. Oh, um, <laughs> like you just set it up so she can't answer no. <laughs> no you no, said, did no, you get instruction? No, nothing. Yeah, U of H, nothing. You know. Sorry. U of H was, was no no no. U of H was a long long time ago when I was very young and I was still very much in the seal with the ball on my nose phase mm-hmm. of my life. Uh-huh. And um, I, what was great about U of H for me was that I met some people who I really loved and still to this day am quite fond of. Um, and I got to I know pr- nothing about that, Kate. And I know nothing. Nothing about, about good people coming out of theater. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really crucial, right? Because yeah, writing, yeah. writing is so isolating, and um, it's it's great to know good people. Um, and I got a lot of practice at U of H, which was good. Um, but uh, it was it was hard for me to go there because. Um, in a way, writing had always been the thing that sort of set me apart from other people. And it was kind of my special thing that I did. And then to suddenly be surrounded where everybody was that person was weird, a little bit weird for me. And I was only, t- I was 22 when I went there. So I was like a wow. kitten. I was just a little kitten. Um, you were like, Jake, you probably wanted to pee in yeah, bottles. Yeah, yes. I was peeing in bottles constantly, <laughs> out of control. But they just, they didn't. Uh, so it was just a weird thing for me. I had like a um, I hadn't really figured out what I wanted to write about and I didn't really know, I, I, I didn't, I hadn't figured out my inner compass yet on what my life was going to be as a writer. Sure. Cause your brain's not even fully yeah, I developed. Like, I, was, I, was, I was, yeah, I was like Central a cortex. Or yeah. Yeah. I was just a yeah. kid. I was just a kid, but, but it was, you know, it was great though, because I got to, you know, hang out with other writers and, um, I wouldn't have known that at 22 anyway. Sure. You know? So, I mean, ironically for me, I really figured out what I wanted to write about after I had kids, which is exactly when I suddenly didn't have time to do that (laughs) writing. (laughs) Um, You know, but like... completely need it. I mean, that's another thing that I admire about you so much. Like, you're obviously a great involved parent and you bring it in, you bring your parenting into your writing in this really satisfying and authentic way and wow it's pretty cool yeah it's a scramble though you know because um I'm just constantly trying to figure out how to get it all done and I'm again I'm not a multitasker so it's it's tricky um but I do think that like becoming a mom helped me really define what truly mattered to me in life and it wasn't just taking good care of my kids. So that was certainly one of the things that I suddenly realized I cared about, um, which of course you can't realize before you have any kids to take care of. So that, you know, those things had to happen. But it was also things like kindness and humor and support mm-hmm. and and finding a way to feel hopeful despite all of the despair around you. Um, it was important for me to do that 
for my kids. You know, when I was younger, I could just kind of give into the despair and be like, we're doomed, you know? <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Kind of, yeah. You know, and just get so cynical and so angry and just Fill stomp my around. Glass. Right. But I think yeah. raising children is an inherently hopeful thing to do. Yeah. You have to believe that there's some way for us to figure it all out. That this is yeah. going to get better. There's got to yeah. be. I mean, it may not get better, but you have to believe there's at least a possibility, <laughs> right. right, that we're going to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, what are you doing, right? And you love them so desperately, those little creatures, and you, you know, they're just, they're your heart. You know, that quote that says, the decision to have kids means to forever have your heart running around outside your body. Yes. Like, yeah. that is the truest yeah. of the true. Yeah. And, uh, but it forces you to figure out what really matters to you. And yeah, it made me a better writer for that reason. I think is I think it's Cheryl Strade's quote that says um, about parenting and writing is, or, or showing up in the world, like for, to be a good parent is also to show up like a motherfucker in the world for your kids, <laughs> you know, so that they mm-hmm. see what that looks like. I, mm-hmm. I just love yeah. that. Like yeah, yeah. it's not just about, you know, making sure they grow up to be the best kids that right. they can be. Yeah. You have to do it. Yeah, you have to model like a yeah. full life for them right. and do the right. thing that you love to do. And yeah, I definitely sort of try to do that. Although, you know, when your kids are little, they don't, they're not like, mom, follow your bliss. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but you know that they're like, they're little like sponges. So they actually no, they they, are. Yeah, no, no, no. They see you for sure. Yeah. But they also want you to make them hot chocolate and snuggle them. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and Which is showing up, which is like definitely it is. showing up. You know, for me, given the choice between, honestly, and this is true, given the choice between the real people in my life, like my little people and my fun husband and my you know the people who I love and my imaginary people I'll pick the people I love anytime like every time you're not going to you know have your kid scrape their knee and you'd be like you know what sweetheart there's some great dialogue happening (laughs) just right in my mind can you just hold that for one second like I'll be right there right there like you drop everything and you go and deal with it right yeah um, I will take my imaginary characters over like a cocktail party full of scary people like, any day. <laughs> but, um, but the real kids and, and the thing is that my kids are really fun and they're hilarious and they always have been and so they're very distracting for me because when I'm trying to write I, it's like it's you know it's so much more fun to just see what they're up to mm-hmm. so I literally have to leave town and when I have a big care. deadline like I have to flee the city and <sighs> Go down to Calveston Island and isolate myself from all human contact so that I can hear those quiet little, you know, voices of yeah. these imaginary people. Because, you know, I, my husband and my kids are like running around Louder. with goofballs and I would much rather like yeah. go and join in that fun. So, yeah. um, I love to ask this question. This will be the last one before we get to um, our speed round. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, I love to ask this question about what you thought the publishing journey was going to be when you started and then maybe what it turned out to be oh that's a good one because you came out I mean here you are 22 finishing up school and then it's like I've got this I I gotta show off my skills and then what happened after that um yeah I had a lot of success early on like in sixth grade and (laughs) (laughs) you got a great prize at Vassar right yeah okay so it wasn't just sixth grade it was yeah. In my in my high school, I you know they give they give a creative writing award, and I got that. Um, Man, do they have those in Houston? I think it's it's just football awards, right? <laughs> I had a creative writing. Did you have a creative? Well, you were in Rochester. I'm sure your high school had one too, right, Jess? No, 
No, we did not have a creative writing award, I don't think. No. Sorry. Continue. Um, uh, no and- football either. Oh, well. You deprived people. Yeah, we had art. We had arts awards at my high school for all kinds of stuff, which was great. Fancy. It was. It was fancy. Um, and then I, and then I went to Vassar, and I got a lot of love from the folks at Vassar about the writing. And I actually won the Vassar College Fiction Prize, which Yay. was great. Yeah, yeah it's that a was a big deal. It was. It felt like a very big deal. And at that point in my life, I really thought this was all going to be very easy. Like I'm um, on a roll. Yeah, I was like, Let's like, go. yeah, I was Publish like, my story. Exactly. I was like, you know what? Give me on um, the contract. I'm ready. <laughs> like, <laughs> ring it. Fine. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, you know, I just thought I'm going to be Jane Austen, right? Just like that's what I'm going to decide to be. I'm just going to be Jane Austen. And I, I remember just thinking, like, sure. I mean, every writer you've read in high school, they all made it. So <laughs> why are you reading them in high school? <laughs> I mean, it seemed very simple. Like you decide to be a dentist and you become a dentist or you decide to become a doctor and you become a doctor or you decide to like open a restaurant and you open the restaurant and decide to be a writer. But actually, no, that's not, that turns out that's not how it works. Um, you decide to be a writer and then you have to suffer and suffer and suffer and suffer and get rejected and rejected and rejected. And so I, I did, so I, yeah, I went to Vassar, I got that fiction prize. And then right after that, I applied to graduate school and I got in and I got a fellowship and I went to the University of Houston's creative writing program and I graduated. And then I spent like eight years achieving nothing, like shit, sending short stories to the New Yorker and getting rejected on little tiny, like this was before email, right? So like little tiny leaflets, like an eighth of a sheet of paper with like a stock rejection letter. <laughs> you can't even send her the whole piece of paper. No, you don't even get a whole piece of paper. No, no, no. That's what you deserve. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a message there. The whole piece of paper is dreaming too big. You get a tiny little like leaflet of rejection. You're not worth the whole piece of paper. No, no, no. You're the, worth this recycle stock. Yeah. In fact, over. we got to deal with the U.S. Postal Service. We only yeah. have to send them There's six cents. There's other writing on the back. <laughs> Just rejection, rejection, rejection. Oh, okay. And they're all like, and I don't remember what it said, but it was really tiny. And it just basically said like, dear writer, no. Uh-huh. Like, no. <laughs> Shut it down. And uh, I did not do well with that because, again, like I really am a fan of encouragement and I do not do well with discouragement because I do enough of that to myself. Because you're a human being? Yeah. Like, is there anything else? Yeah. And everybody. Right, exactly. So, everybody I knew in, um, in grad school was like, that's just the writing life. You've got to like toughen up. You've got to have the tough skin and just believe in yourself. But, you know, the thing is, it is very hard as a creative person, as a person who's doing anything for an audience, to just believe in yourself because there's not really a right or wrong. Like my daughter really loves math, and uh, in math, there's a right and a wrong answer. Like you work the problem, when you get to the bottom, you either have a right answer or a wrong answer. And if the answer is not right, then you go back and rework it until you get the right answer. And um, that's one of the reasons I don't like math is because my answers were always wrong. Like, so I'd get to the bottom and be like, oh, God, I got to start over. (laughs) Uh, What I love about English is you're never entirely right, but you're never entirely wrong either. Like, you can always, it's flexible. You know, you can always go back and make it better, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's something comforting about that. Nobody is ever going to, like, be like, you're wrong. But on the other hand, also nobody's ever going to tell you you're right. (laughs) 
right? You don't know. Like, is it right? Did it work? Like, did I make somebody cry? Did I make them laugh? Did it mean something to them? You don't know. Anything that's audience-based like that. Right, yeah. So, like, you could get up and tell a joke at an open mic night, and you could think it's the funniest joke in the world. But if nobody laughs at it, it's probably not funny, Mm -hmm. you know? (laughs) Yeah. And you can't, like, berate them into laughing or, like, explain <laughs> to them why they why they should be laughing. You just have to be like, okay, that didn't work, right? Oh, so you don't really know as a writer if you're any good. You know, you're just hoping that you are. And you're trying your best and you're putting it out there and you're seeing if people respond. So, you know, getting rejection after rejection after rejection does impact you. It has to. Like, for oh, me God, anyway, yeah. like, there was no way that I was going to just be like, I don't care what any of you people think. I'm the best thing that ever happened to the literary world. And, you know, goodbye. Um, So that's, so I got discouraged a lot. And what I would do is, um, as a way of, I think, kind of saving face, is I would uh, quit writing forever. Like, I would very grandly announce (laughs) to the world (laughs) that I was like, I'm done. I'm out. This is fucked up. Like, sorry. This is messed up. Like, this is not healthy, right? I was like, this is masochistic. This is not how I want to live my life. I'm out. I got other things I could be doing with my time. And I did this over and over. And And then, like, two weeks later, like, I'd get an idea for a story. And I would, like start up again and it felt like this very sad affliction Affliction. that I had like everybody everybody felt so sorry for me you know because I couldn't seem to make myself stop doing this just can't quit problematic thing and um my mom every year would have this Christmas party at her house and she would invite all the relatives you know over and we'd be hanging out and they would all look at me with these faces of deep deep like very profound pity um, and you know, and the, like everybody kind of knew the sad tale of like the ne'er do well daughter, right? Who just like couldn't make it happen. And they would um, washed up at twenty four. Yeah, they would like they would like sort of come up to me and like kind of pat my hand a little bit, like very comfortingly, like as if something really terrible. It's kind of like when you me. tell your mother in law that you're a podcaster. <laughs> oh, oh, sweetheart! What's that? Right, right, right. And they feel so sorry for you, as they should. <laughs> in a way <laughs> because because what you're doing is very hard um but it's also you know rewarding on so many levels that can't be quantified so there it is but yeah they would be you know they would just look at me so sadly and be like sweetheart are you still right <laughs> and i'd have to you know just and it was so embarrassing and i couldn't get anything published and so i quit over and over and over and over and over and then finally um when my it wasn't it wasn't until i had a baby like i had a baby and um, kind of like out of nowhere, like we got like my husband and I got married and then we thought it would be fun to have a baby. We're like, let's have a baby. But I had no experience with babies. I had never done any babysitting. I had never changed a diaper until my daughter happened. God. I had no idea. Like they're like, you know, they sent me home from the hospital. They were like, you need to make sure she's got, I don't know, two wet diapers an hour mm-hmm. so that, you know, she's, you know, everything's working. And I was like, what's a, like, what's a wet diaper? Like, I can't even tell if they're wet. Like, I would be, like, touching it. It felt all dry. I was like, so I, I really did not know what I was doing. My learning curve was very steep. I think it's steep for everybody. Um, it's steep. No, yeah. Yeah, but Just mine was basically, like, vertical. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so I didn't write anything for about a year after she was born. And it was really the first time since about sixth grade that I hadn't just you know, processed every single important event in my life ad nauseum, either wow. in unhappy poems or essays or stories or journaling or something. 
I didn't touch pen to paper. I didn't even write a grocery list. You know, I was just uh, trying to like keep stay, a newborn stay alive. awake. Yeah. Right. I was eating handfuls of nuts for all of my meals. And, um, so finally, when she was about maybe like a year and a half old, I was on the phone with my sister and I was um, kind of complaining about how I hadn't done any writing and, you know, every important thing that had ever happened to me, I had processed through some kind of writing. And here I had become a mom and my whole understanding of love had been redefined and I hadn't written anything about it. And I was kind of complaining about this. And then she dared me to write a novel. She was like, you should write a novel about being a mom. And then she just kind of went, how hard can that be? And it was funny because something about, like, all of my training up until that point had been very literary. You know, I'd gone to the University of Houston's Creative Writing Program. You know, I I had read, you know, been reading exclusively, like, Flannery O'Connor and Hemingway and trying to be important, you know, Mm trying to write something really important. Mm -hmm. And something about those words at that moment gave me permission to just, she was like, just write a funny novel about being a mom. Being a mom is hilarious. Like, write write something funny about that. And um, it just gave me this permission when yeah. she said it to suddenly write a whole different kind of novel, you know, than right. what I had been kind of trying. I'd been wanting to do something, you know, big. Uh-huh. And so I was like, oh, I'm just going to write like something funny about being a mom. I was like, I've got so much material. And so Bright Side of Disaster is basically just my life, except, except, um, I, my husband and I, you know, were fine. Stayed together. Yeah, we yeah. stayed together. The guy didn't but, leave you, right? right. The guy did not leave me. Like, that was yeah. a little bit of a plot <laughs> convention. But, and I had people after that book came out that were, they would felt so, they read it and they would like see me speak at a luncheon or something. And they'd be like, sweetheart, I can babysit for you. You know, and I'm like, oh, thanks. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. With it. Um, but yeah, so then, and then that happened. You know, the, the publishing thing was very lucky because it was like a Cinderella story um, in that, um, you know, I wrote that novel, that first novel, in like six weeks. Oh, my gosh. Um, it came very quickly. And I think partly it's because I hadn't done any writing for a year and a half before that. And all these huge things that happened in my life. And I was basically like, you took a champagne bottle and shook it up and then corked it, right? And just <laughs> fiction just went everywhere, right? It was just like unstoppable. Like, I, I was writing at times on that book faster than I could type. Like, my fingers couldn't keep up with the story that was okay. churning out of my head. And... um I wrote it and at the end I thought this is good you know it's always sort of hard for me to endorse myself in that way <laughs> I think that's probably true for a lot yeah, of writers I was, gonna but say. I was like I think this is good like mm-hmm. and I was like you know I've seen a lot of like there's tons of stories about motherhood out there but I was like I haven't seen anything quite like this motherhood was certainly nothing like what I was expecting when I got started on the whole thing like I was right. kind of imagining in some way that my mom was gonna raise my kids somehow because <laughs> You know, like she was the mom, right? She knew how to do it, right. and uh, I had no idea. Yeah. So was, oh, the whole thing just was very shocking to me once once I was in and you know committed. And um, I remember being very um, surprised that they were letting me out of the hospital. Yeah, with it's the kid. Oh my god! Weird. Yeah, I was like, oh like, have you seen my husband and I? Are we <laughs> yeah. like? I had to do so much shit to be able to drive a car. Yeah. It's going to let me out? Like, you're not qualified. My really close friends kept the hospital bracelet on her daughter's wrist or ankle. I don't remember where it was for a really long time. And, like, she went to one of her postpartum appointments, and the nurse, you know, was like, "Uh, sweetie, you know, you can take that off. She's yours. (laughs) You don't have to keep it on there for 
return return her. You can take the tag off. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it, you're, the thing is, you're really not qualified when they send you home with that first baby. Like you only no. become qualified through doing it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You can't learn it beforehand. You right. just have to be in it and do it. And that's probably and I remember writing as well. That it's the novel. Yeah. I'm the only one who isn't like who can't even learn by doing. <laughs> they found the one person. But you, you constantly feel like you're behind the eight ball and then there comes a moment when you like look up and look around and you're suddenly like, yeah. oh, I've got this. Like, I know how to do yeah. this. Yeah. You know, it's Is that happening? That's going to happen? Oh, yeah. I'm wondering when that happens, Jessica. Do you know? It does. Like that quality that moms have where you're like, go ask her. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like that comes to you eventually, but you have to like earn it by walking over those coals like every day. You know, <laughs> it does not come cheap. Okay, so wait, so you wrote the novel in six weeks, and then what happened? Oh, okay, so I wrote the novel in six weeks, and then I kind of made this little um, promise to myself that I was not going to give up on it the way I had given up on all the other things that I had tried to publish, because um, I'd never written a novel before; I'd only written short stories, and. Um, and I would send them out and get rejected a bunch. And then I would like put them in a drawer and forget about them. Like, oh, it must not be good. Yeah, like, oh, I guess it's bad. Okay, yeah. let's try again. And um, so with this one, I was like, there is something good here. And I'm really going to commit to this. And I'm going to, like, surely, you know, if I really work that network connection, I can find somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who has an agent. Like, there's got to be somebody. But then there wasn't. There wasn't anybody. <laughs> like we we contacted every relative far and wide, every friend I've ever had. I couldn't find anybody. Uh-huh. And um and then I got pregnant again. And that pregnancy lasted a really long time. Like and it was through Houston summer and I was hot and I had the toddler on my hip the whole time and yeah. like my hips were popping out of joint. It was it was hard. And then the baby came early. Like a little bit early, and uh, suddenly we were like back in Newbornville, and I had this novel. I had gotten it ready, you know. When I first started writing it, I, I had never tried to write anything that long before, and I was very nervous that I was not going to finish. Because um, really, I mean, seventeen pages was kind of probably my max before yeah. I wrote that first novel, and um, so I put it in Courier, you know, which is like the largest yeah, of yeah, all yeah, the fonts because I thought it would encourage me, and I made the margins like two inches around every side, and I was like, I'm racking up the pages. I'm awesome. But I had gotten it ready and I had like put it in Times New Roman the way you're supposed to. And I, and it was just ready, you know, and I had polished it. I'd spent like a year kind of polishing it up and getting it like exactly how I thought it needed to be. And then, um, and then once this baby came, I just forgot all about it. Honestly, like I was just at the point when I was going to start like sending out query letters and going through the books. I mean, now I'm sure it's websites, but back then it was like books Mm -hmm. and, uh, I was just dreading it all, but I was committed and then, uh, and then the baby came, and I was like, "Nope, never mind. We're good. We're good. I'm covered in spit up. I'll, I'll see you later." And um, I stuck the, um, I stuck the novel literally in a drawer, in like a desk drawer. And I was like, "I will deal with you when I resurface." Um, not realizing that that was going to be years and years, because one baby's a lot, but two babies is like a hundred babies. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so we. Uh, I forgot about it. Honestly, uh-huh. I, I forgot about it. And when the baby was maybe like, it was maybe like a year and a half, a while. Um, one day I was with a friend and we uh, we took our little creatures. We went to the park and we were just hanging out in the park in our neighborhood. And um, this friend of mine knew that I had written a novel that was in a drawer. Like I had told her about it. Mm-hmm. And she'd actually read little parts of it. And um, she, uh, while we were there, she spotted this lady across the park who lived in our neighborhood who was a published novelist 
you know and she was like she was like oh my god that is the neighborhood novelist over there <laughs> And, the and I had heard about this woman because everybody who knew that I had a novel in a drawer was like, oh my God, you should call this woman. And I was like, Mm-mm, I am not stalking that poor woman. She yeah, does yeah. not want to hear from me. And then, um, uh, you know, my first instinct in that moment was like to like dart the other way and like go hide behind a tree or something, right? Because if anybody can ever help you, you need to get like as far, far away from away. that person as you possibly can. <laughs> Um, but, uh, she, my friend was not shy at all about this. She had like no dog in this fight. So she just like marched right on over to this woman. Oh my and was God. Like, While you're covered in spit up. Yeah, I'm totally covered children. in spit up. I've got the, you know, the babies and everybody's running around and she walks up and she goes, that is my friend Catherine over there. She has written a novel that is sitting in a drawer. <laughs> I've read parts of it. It's hilarious. Like you sh- don't, you want to help her get published basically. Like you should help her get published. Who is this friend and did you make her cake? Because that's She's pretty great. And yeah. And she be everyone's friend. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. No, because it's very hard to advocate for yourself, yes, right? But yes. it's easier to advocate for the people you love. So um, this woman, like, I'm sure she did not particularly, I mean, she didn't like wake up that morning thinking, you know, what unpublished novelist can I help today? <laughs> but, um, day. but she, you know, she, somehow we worked it around to where I was like, look, I'm sure you don't want to read the whole thing. You know, my mom's read it and she thinks it's really great, but she's my mom. So I don't know. And uh, I was like, maybe I could just send you like the first three chapters and you could just take uh, a look. Cause I just really haven't had any feedback. And she was like, sure. So that afternoon I sent her. Just the, stop talking like, to me. Sure. <laughs> Give me the manuscript. She was very gracious. Actually, she was so gracious. And um, I, I'm like devoted to her forever. And she, uh, she, she emailed me. Like I sent them to her that afternoon. I think she emailed me the next day and said, you know, I told you at the park that my agent wasn't taking any new clients. And she was like, but now that I have actually read your first three chapters, I would really like to pass them along to her if that's okay with you. And so, you know, of course, I no. thought that was okay with me. Yeah. <laughs> and, no, uh, maybe next time. So uh, she she sent off those first three chapters um, to her agent. And the agent wrote back within the hour saying that she wanted to see the whole thing. And, oh, my gosh. Yeah, so it was pretty crazy. At and, Valentine? Um, uh, I mean, no, sorry, the, the agent. It's the yeah. agent that I still have today. Oh, my so gosh. So this, this woman... Um, you know, we uh, we sent it off to her. I mean, I just emailed off this 300-page manuscript to this total stranger in L.A. And, um, and you know, there was my husband. Like, it was summer. My husband's a teacher, so he was, like, around in the summer. And we had, like, the naked toddler running laps around the house. And, you know, I had the babe in arms. And um, my husband started doing this little dance, like, whoop, whoop. Like, this is going to be your moment, right? This is going to be your big moment. And then uh, we sent it off, and then I didn't hear from her, and I – when I remember it, it feels like it was like a year, but it was really more like, it was like a week, right? It was like uh, a week, but she, uh, it was she called me the longest like, week of your life. It was a long week. And I had already like, by the time she called me, like I had already quit writing again forever <laughs> and been like, I'm out. This is masochistic. I'm done. And, um, she, she called me and she was like, I love your novel and I can sell it. So <gasps> let's get started. And then, so we did. She actually, she sent it off to four, she sent it off to eight different publishing houses. Um, like all the big guys and uh, there were four that were interested and so she got them into like an auction and then that turned into like a bidding war and uh, you know again there I was with like the naked toddler running laps around the house right Legos everywhere and just like as unglamorous as it is possible for a human being to be covered in spit up the whole shebang just don't tell them I just changed diapers <laughs> right, this like, should not be happening to yeah. me I'm not worthy and then uh, in my mind my agent was like 
in like a Grace Kelly convertible with like a scarf on her head, like tooling through the Hollywood Hills with like right, giant, giant glasses sunglasses. on. She probably that's probably actually true because she is very glamorous. Um, but uh, yeah, at the end of the day, it was Random House that won, and um, they wound up publishing me under their Valentine imprint. And it was like a, it was like a Cinderella story. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was great. Um, and that was that it took to get there. It took a long, long, long time to get there. But I will also say, you know, that was ten years ago. Um, and there have been, you know, it's not like it's not like you get to the end of something, end of a story, and that's the end of your life. Like your life continues on. There have been exciting, breathtaking, phenomenal moments since then. There have been plenty of disappointments and things that I wanted to try to do that I couldn't make happen. There have been, um, you know, it's been just still kind of in some ways like a normal life ever since then. Except the big difference is that now I get to write. Like I really get to write now. And and, and now that's... relatives don't, you know, don't do like the pats on your hand. They're like, I loved your latest book. It yeah, so yeah. Funny. I mean, that's a, and that's a huge difference, you know, yeah. because now um, the writing truly is, like I think the writing is its own reward, whether you're published or not, because I think there's joy in the process of doing it. But having a, a legitimate reason to to yeah. not do other things, right, and to have this be my actual job <laughs> right. is, uh, is 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 like the luckiest, greatest thing ever. Like that really yeah. is its own reward. That's the dream. Yeah, it yeah. is for me. Yeah, yeah. I don't need to be like on Oprah's yacht. I, you know, like I, that's not that's those external Although things. Oprah, are... if you're listening, <laughs> I don't think anyone would be opposed. I would never say no. Of course, Captain would um, be so much fun on a yacht. <laughs> But I would, but what what really is the part about it all that's satisfying is just getting to write the stories and getting to get lost in those stories and and be there. That's what it is. Okay, so the speed dating is where we ask you all the questions that aren't in your author bio. Okay. Okay. If I did a search and find in your Word docs, what fancy word would I find you use or overuse? Discombobulated. <laughs> What word do you hate to hear misused and or mispronounced? There's a lot of them. (laughs) (laughs) Expresso kind of grinds. Oh, that's the second time. That's the second time an author has brought that one. Even Jennifer Matthew. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's the title of the Word doc last open on your desktop? These are specific questions. Um, (laughs) Actually, it was uh, my new book, which is called How to Walk Away. Mm. If you weren't a writer, you'd be a quilt shop owner, <laughs> graphic designer. Wait, a <laughs> podcaster maybe. I would love to have a podcast. Um, I could all book that's on your coffee table. On my coffee table, there are about five hundred books on my coffee table. <laughs> uh, one that's popping to mind is um. It's fun because there's a book that I was actually in, uh, a photography book called The Prime Book um, with Brene Brown and Karen Walrand and a bunch of <sighs> other folks. Uh, Jenny Lawson was in it. Um, where yeah, this, I saw that on your um, website. Yeah, this yeah. photographer named Peter Fried came to Houston and he took a bunch of, he took pictures of a bunch of us. It was a bare, um, it was like a bare shoulder kind of, the photographs are all women with bare shoulders mm-hmm. because he wanted to emphasize what he called the landscape of the face, which I think is a really interesting idea. Um, but as I was driving over to do this, 
um, I became very nervous because I'd seen some sample photos that these women were actually naked. Oh no! And I was like, Oh no 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 no! I'm not gonna be no no no! You gotta earn that. Like I'm not getting mm -mm. nope nope nope. And so I was like, What am I gonna do if I arrive? You know, um, this was at uh, Brene Brown's house. If I arrive oh there gosh. and uh, everybody's naked, like what am I gonna do with myself? Am I just Is gonna that like a different kind of photo book? I don't, I don't know. Uh, and I was yeah, I thought you know, will I be like a bolder? version of myself and just be like hey Step up. when in realm yeah, like right. and just rip off my stuff or will I like what am I gonna you have do to be brave for the people you love I agree and or yourself and so uh I was so relieved to find that actually everybody had just kind of pulled their shirt down a little bit just to get the shoulders thank you thank you thank you but that that photo book turned out gorgeous and I wrote an essay for it um that I loved and I'm still very proud of and uh so yeah, I, that I, I've had it for like two years on my coffee table. It'll, it'll okay. never move. It'll be there forever. It's the permanent, permanent coffee table. The book that's on your nightstand. Uh, what book is on my nightstand? That's also there are also about five hundred books there. <laughs> I have a long, uh, I have a, a large stack of books that are giving me the hairy eyeball, waiting to be <laughs> read. Um, I am at this moment reading a book on the uh, Danish art of hookah. Hmm. which is um, mm -hmm. the art of coziness and companionship. A book that's on the back of your toilet. It's, um, it's not a book. It's, uh, it's, um, it's uh, a well, it is a book, but it's Lego. It's, it's kid stuff. It's like, we've got Legos. We've got Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm trying to visualize the toilet now. We've got... Uh, Books of different hairstyles. Do you have like a shelf? You must have a shelf we because a, mine would be like all actually, the actually, we do. We have um, the, the bathroom. We've got it's like a low shelf that has sort of three baskets in it. That's kind of in the space between the toilet and the <laughs> tub, <laughs> and that whole thing. Like when I first got it, I was like, oh look, it's so, it looks so white and pretty in here. Like it just, you know. And now it's just totally covered in in books. Like there's probably, I mean, again, our whole house is covered in books. Sure. Um, it's there's probably. I mean, seriously, there's probably 50 books on top of this little shelf. But it's not on the toilet. It's next to the That's, toilet. It counts. Yeah. It counts. <laughs> Do you have an on-writing Bible? I have a bunch of them. I love to read books about writing, actually. Um, there's a great... One of my favorite ones that I ever read was by the sort of the great granddaddy of all books on how to write. <laughs> back, This is like back from the 60s. It's by this guy named Dwight V. Swain. He's from oh, Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. So, like I made my husband promise me that someday we can have a pet and call it Dwight V. Swain. <laughs> uh, I was like a dog, a cat, a fish. I don't care. I want a pet named Dwight V. Swain. It's called Techniques of the Selling Writer. Mm -hmm. And it's just like it came before all of them. You know, it's like the progenitor of all these books. But it's so thoughtful and it's so helpful and like one of the things oh, i learned from that, that book I've never heard of that. it's a great it's a great one i found it at um like a half price book sure, like an sure. old version of it but um i think it's still in print mm -hmm. and um if you uh like one of the things i learned from him in that book was he said um and this, actually the first half of this is kind of debatable we could debate it but the second half i think is super useful he said people go to nonfiction to learn things and they go to fiction to feel things your favorite place to read in the bubble bath. <laughs> That's an easy one. Which I'm is in champagne. Your favorite. Wait, ideally, favorite. sure. I'm sorry, what? What? With champagne, what? ideally. He said ideally. Oh, yeah. yeah, he said with champagne. Who's always going to, like, remember the alcohol. <laughs> um, it's a great trait. What's your favorite writer with three names? 
Well, Marisa De Los Santos comes to mind. She's one of my yeah. favorites. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of her. Um, I, I'm going to go with her. I'm going to go with her. I'm in a phase of hers right now. The writer you would most like to have dessert with? Dessert. I would just love to hang out with Jane Austen. I don't really care what we're eating or drinking mm-hmm. or doing. <laughs> <laughs> the writer you'd most like to sleep with? Oh, good Lord. Can I say nobody? <laughs> I'm not sure there's anybody who's a writer who I'd want to sleep with. They are. You we can. are. We can be kind of neurotic, I suppose. I did. Um, I did meet John Irving when I was in college, and he was very dashing. Mm. I will say that. Mm. I got to have dinner with uh, John Irving and Stephen King. Oh my gosh! When I was in college, at the same time. Yeah, yeah, which is pretty crazy. Wow. I know. It's, it's, nutty. it's nutty. It's nutty. It's nutty. So, what Shakespeare plays do you find your work is the most? Oh, plays. Or work, do you find your work is the most like derived from? Well, I'm a comedies person. Um, like my fa- my favorite Shakespeare play is Twelfth Night. I think about the sort of comedy versus tragedy topic quite a bit because I think that you know there's that kind of um, you know in a in a Shakespearean tragedy everybody you know all the big people die at the end and in a comedy you know people wind up together in the Reconcile. end. Right? It's a love story. Yeah. I don't want to see in in any book or story, I don't want everybody to die in the end. I just don't. Like, I don't want to go there. What I do want to see is I do want to see people get hitched. I think that people tend to use that word comedy kind of wrong. You know, I like that more traditional definition of comedy where it's really just about a happy ending and Mm -hmm. a, you know, sort of continuation of life. I don't think it necessarily needs to be like, slapstick like Pratt Falls and yucking it up and like Three Stooges stuff and mm-hmm. I think in a, um, sometimes people take the comedy concept so literally mm-hmm. so I think what I do has a lot of comedy in it in that it's hopeful and it's about continuing things on in a good positive way right. as opposed to a tragedy yeah. um, but and and there are some funny parts I hope there should be laughing out loud stuff but I would never sacrifice the story for the comedy a time in your life when you felt the worst about your craft? I'd say the eight years between graduate school yeah. and publishing my first novel. <laughs> that would qualify. It was a long time, yeah. but uh, yeah. fruitful. A book that changed your life? Oh my God, there's so many. Um, there's so many, I don't even know where to start. I, I uh, read Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance mm. in high school, and it got me thinking about this question of quality. That was a big mm. moment for me. I kind of it just shifted my perspective on the world. Mine too. That was a big one for me. Oh, that's nice. Sometimes <laughs> I mention it to people, and they're like, "I've never even heard of that book. I don't know what you're." No, about. Oh, but it was yeah, so yeah. huge. I didn't read it till college. I don't think. Um, I think that um, Catcher in the Rye was. A, I'm sorry, you only asked for one, but Catcher in the Rye was another big one because it was, it was the first literary book I was ever exposed to um, where the voice was conversational. Mm-hmm. And I so responded to that. And mm-hmm. he actually talks about it in the book. There's a moment when he says, I love it when the authors of books feel like you could talk to them in real life mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I highlighted it, right, circled right. it, yeah. put stars in the margin. <laughs> um, because that was like a little glimmer for me of like the kind of books that I, if I was going to write a book, that's what I would. That's what you would write. That's what I would write. And yeah. then that's what happened. There's more, but I'll stop. <laughs> What's the best piece of writing advice you ever got? Oh my God, so many. Okay, probably my best one 
was for my dad, um, who was himself a journalist um, and worked um, at the Detroit Free Press mm. back in the 60s during the riots. Holy cow. And the whole paper got a Pulitzer for their coverage of the riots. And so my dad has a little tiny piece of a Pulitzer, which <laughs> he doesn't think is as impressive as I do, but yeah, I think yeah. that's super impressive. Um, and he, uh, when I was a kid and I would show him stuff that I had written, he would very earnestly say to me, I love it. Now I want you to go back and take out half the words. Oh, I love that piece of advice. <laughs> so, so um, I took that advice very seriously and I would literally write things and then I would count the words and then I would go back and try and reduce it by half. <laughs> and what it forces you to do is to figure out what really matters, what has to be there. Yeah. And it, yeah. you just trim all the fat. Sometimes you lose some of the meaning too, but then you can always go put that back in. You know, yeah. but it just forces you to make choices about what really matters and what absolutely has to be there. And and you know, then your ability to count syllables comes in really handy. Your grateful. You're grateful he didn't say take out half the syllables. Oh yeah, that yeah, would yeah. be a whole different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Biggest writing success. I, I think um, my probably my newest book, um, the one that's about to come out in May. Well, called how to walk away. Yeah. Oh, how how to walk away. Yeah, how to walk away. I think it's um, I'm trying really hard to get better with each book, and I think a lot about craft all the time, constantly, obsessively, and I'm constantly reading about it and working on it and trying to you know anytime I read a story or see a movie or get exposed to any even even if I'm just talking to somebody and somebody tells me a story that sucks me in and is like I can't look away and I'm just like what happened next. You know, whenever that happens, I afterwards I'm thinking about it, thinking, what was that story? Mm -hmm. Like, what what were they doing there? Like, why did that work so well? And there's so many stories in the world that are just deadly boring. Mm -hmm. There's so many people who stand up on stage and just bore you to tears, <laughs> yeah. right? And read their PowerPoint slides and just suck the life out of you. But then right. there are these beautiful little magical stories that kind of come out of nowhere that that just grab you by the seat of the pants and yank you from beginning to end. And you it, like, they turn their own pages, you know, and you don't mm -hmm. even have to try. And I'm always trying to figure out like, what is the difference between stories that just tell themselves and that totally hook you and stories that don't. Right. And you know, there's so many ways to get it wrong and there are not that many ways to get it right. And I'm just obsessed, like really to the point of being very dull, you know, like my, <laughs> my, my poor husband, you know, every day I'm talking to him about some story that wasn't working and I need to break it all down and be like, you know, and then this happened and why, why are you making us listen to that? And um, <laughs> so I, I do, you know, and, and you know that, you know, that thing that happens where you like read a book by somebody and you love that book and then you kind of keep going back to that same writer because oh, you gosh, want yeah. that same high that you got on the first book that you love, but it's never as good. My sort of dream is to be the opposite of that person. Like I... I want to make sure that I'm getting better every time so that each time I go out to do a new story, it comes together tighter and it's stronger and it grabs hold of you better and it moves you more. Um, and that's, I intimidate myself when I sort of set that goal out. Like it's, I do sometimes freak myself out about it a little bit, but again, that's the great thing about writing is you get that first draft and you're like, oh, it's not quite there. So then you just circle back and you think, okay, I'm going to work back through it. You know, you could encourage yourself to kind of keep going. Right, right, yeah. And so that's, um, I forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> your biggest writing success. Right. So you so feel like you I did feel that. like my, my newest book, my newest book that comes out next May, I think that's, I, I love that. I love the story. I just, I just love it. 
I can't wait. Oh my gosh. Well, we have like 19 other questions that we didn't get to. So we definitely have to have you back. Yeah. Would thank love to you. Come back. Thank you so much. Thank for you for coming. having me. This is so, so excited. I, I could just guys, live here. Go pick up all the books. You will not be disappointed. And we can't wait for May. Yes. Thank you so much, Catherine. Thank you, guys. Delicious. This is awesome. Thank you so much. Effing Shakespeare is brought to you by Bloomsday Writing and Publishing. Write to be read. Find out more about partner publishing and cooperative writing at bloomsdaywriting.com. And by our friends at Houston Creative Space. Photography, video, recording, graphic design, and fine art. Find all things creative at Houston Creative Space. Production assistance and audio editing by Doug Liu. Our social media and marketing maven is Paula Liu. And our chief audio, visual, graphic, and everything else engineer is Fu Liu, who constantly reminds us the perfect is the enemy of the good and who loves us despite the fact that we consistently ignore him at our own peril. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Bloomsday Writer. Show us some love. Subscribe to our show and leave a review on iTunes. It's a proven fact that uh, people who read buy more books than people who don't read, so. <laughs> I'm always thinking about book sales. Can't help it. Truthfully, I wish you'd read 10 books a month or at least buy that many. <laughs> the size of your audience doesn't matter. What's important is that your audience is listening.